Hello and welcome to the Campus Mission, where we discuss everything related to college life through the Christian lens. Catholic campus ministers from across the state of West Virginia come together to fix your life. The email, thecampusmissionwv at gmail.com, thecampusmissionwv at gmail.com. Send us your questions and we will answer them mostly correctly every single time. Welcome. So I, uh, I've got a few, I, I have a couple things that I, uh, I find fascinating about, uh, Mary, uh, and, um, especially when it comes to like talking to people who don't understand Catholic teaching about Mary. You, um, Nick and Ross can come from a whole different perspective in that you weren't always Catholic. So what were your misconceptions about Mary? Right. You know? so. Right. So once so like the. One, uh, basically, the one the one thing I re- I really want to touch on, and I, I and I can expound on is this idea of Mary as queen mother in Davidic kingship. Mm-hmm. Um, that because that honestly that that it that in, that really does explain her role in all of this and why we give her the reverence that we give her and and her closeness to Jesus. Yeah. Um, Revelation twelve. Uh, one and two, because uh, right. most people, well, people that aren't Catholic that read that, uh, they they don't they don't think that's Mary, which is funny to me because it's so obviously Mary. Right, know. it has to. Be. Yeah, there's no other explanation there. Right. Um, Sorry, which which revelations did you say? Uh, Revelation twelve one and two. Uh, mm. So basically, uh, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman I'm, clothed. I'm looking at it right here. I've got a Bible. Yeah. A great Um, sun appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, she has a baby. Yeah. She gives, she gives birth to the savior of the world. The, um, you know, she's, she's crowned with the stars. She's, um, the, the moon under her feet, our lady of Guadalupe. Oh yeah. Like those images of her that come up that are, that, that match. Yeah in revelation and also just like the tilma itself in the fact that it, it the, the tilma has been you know they've they've tested it it's fibers and things yeah it hasn't been painted on no one painted no. It, you know no. like it's and also that, those things deteriorate rather quickly and the fact that it right. survived the last what 500 years or yeah. so so um virgin birth which is widely accepted not only by catholics but universally by mainline Christian churches as well. But, mm-hmm. but to clarify what the, the Immaculate Conception is, because most people think that um, the Immaculate Conception is referring to Jesus's birth, and it's really referring to Mary's birth. And, and that is a widely accepted dogma. However, people don't even realize what it is half the time. Right. Um, yeah, that, that, idea that Mary was Mary herself was conceived without origin without, without the same original sin. Right. Right. And Preparing her for yes. Yeah, talking about how people would be like, how is that possible? If you know, we say, well, she was conceived without original sin, so that she could give birth to Jesus without that stain. But also, it's because she said yes to the angel Gabriel and they're like, but how would he know back then that she was going to say yes? How, do, how does that, uh, doesn't that negate her free will? And that's where the outside of time thing comes yep. in. You know, yep. God knew that back then because he knows all things for all time. He knew that she would say yes, 
knowing that she said yes is not the same thing as willing that she says yes. Right. And, and that, you know, we won't get into this in this podcast, but like sure. that concept is basically the Catholic argument against uh, the Calvinist idea of predestination. Right. Uh, there's a difference, right, between God knowing how someone responds and God forcing someone to respond. Exactly. Right. So we accept the Immaculate Conception. Most mainline churches do not. But what um, we all do accept is the virgin birth, meaning Jesus' birth. And that's widely accepted. But then you go from Immaculate Conception, virgin birth, Jesus' birth, to the next step that we believe is, well, we teach, I don't know if everybody believes it, perpetual virginity of Mary. Right. You know, I mean, I know many Catholics that do not believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary, but the church does teach that. It does. Right. I know, uh, yeah, no, no Protestants believe that, I don't think. No, I think that's and many Catholics don't believe it. I mean, yeah. I've read Bible studies where they don't believe it. You know. mm-hmm. But anyway, but, my, but beyond that point, my other thing is, I, I did this course once on, the, on Mary and why do Catholics worship Mary? Well, the answer is we don't. You know, and talking about intercessory prayer, we don't worship Mary, we hold her in honor, and she prays um, for us. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I took it to the Hail Mary. And, and it's really kind of neat if you break it down biblically, because the Hail Mary is very biblical. So Luke 1, 26, 28, um, the angel says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Luke 1, 39 to 45, when she visits Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. St. JP2, your guy, Nick, yeah. added, added um, Jesus based upon Philippians 2, 8 to 11, which says, we just heard it last weekend, every knee shall bow, every tongue proclaim that Jesus. So he added that as the linchpin between the biblical part of the Hail Mary, um, blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And then mm-hmm. the next part is again based upon Luke um, when she says her big yes, her big fiat, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord, let, let it be done to me. The idea of the second part of the Hail Mary is for us to proclaim the same yes that Mary proclaimed by saying, um, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and obviously at the hour of our death because she was at Jesus' death. But so the first part is biblical and the second part is idea of help us to say the yes linchpin with jesus in the middle like, i just think that's because i know a lot of non-catholics would be like why are you praying the hymn why oh yeah tons, tons and tons and tons it's biblical. yeah it is and that's why i was hoping also uh uh to talk about so i i had that too uh and and Showing that the Hail Mary is a, a completely biblical prayer. I mean, uh, if you're saying Hail Mary and somebody says that, that seems kind of like an idolatry in and of itself to, to say Hail Mary. Well, that, uh, the angel Gabriel said it. So right. exactly. I can't imagine that the angel Gabriel would be con- committing the sin of idolatry. Also, uh, when you're saying worship, we don't worship. Uh, what we do is we venerate the veneration of saints, which is really just to hold them in high uh, high respect or reverence. And that's exactly what Gabriel was doing to Mary. He was saying, you are full of grace. Gabriel, the angel, was revering a human being. That That's pretty outstanding. What else was I going to say? Oh, but the Hail Mary led me to the rosary. 
a lot of people get, uh, a lot of people who are not Catholic get kind of offended at the very idea of the rosary because, and, and even I, when I first came to it, you, you were asking like, as converts, how did we perceive all of this, this Marian uh, doctrine and Marian practices? The rosary seems like you're just saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, blah, 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 over and over and over again. It's this prayer where you just spend like 15, 20 solid minutes just just saying, Hail Mary, over and over and over again. And on its face, if, if you don't understand what's going on, that can be misperceived as a full-on Marian worship. And like you're saying, it's it's a reverence to her. It's a veneration of her. Uh, Hail Mary, which, by the way, is something that you would typically say to someone of royalty, which is where we'll get into the, the queenship later. Uh, you're saying, I venerate you, Mary. You're great. You're, you're blessed among women. You're the highest among women. So now pray for me, now and at the hour of my death, as I meditate on this mystery of Jesus. Right? So all of the mysteries that, that come through the rosary, there are five joyful, five sorrowful mysteries, five glorious mysteries, and then JP2 uh, introduced the five luminous mysteries. And they're all these scenes, important scenes of Jesus's life. And the reason it's important uh, to us to pray with Mary and have her there interceding for us and, and in a way making up for some of the prayers that, that, that's lacking in us because, is because she was present at all of these or most of these scenes of Jesus's life. You know, when I'm, when I'm meditating on the mystery of Jesus's birth, of the nativity, the third joyful mystery, I would say, Mary, pray for me that I can understand this mystery because you were there. You were, you were front and center to, to this. And I mean, while you're at it, while I'm at it, why not pull Joseph into the mix? You know, he, he was there too. So, so that's why it's important to have her there for all of that to, to help us understand these things that are going on in Jesus's life. Speaking of the rosary, I was on an interreligious um, panel two years ago. And um, every single person on the panel, there was a Jewish rabbi, there was somebody from the Hare Krishna um, palace, there was a Muslim there. Every single person on the panel, except the Catholic and the Protestant minister, had prayer beads in their hand during the interreligious dialogue. Talk uh, about putting us to shame. Oh, because, man. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. It is. All so right. I want to talk about I want to talk about the Annunciation itself. So it's it's very real world, isn't it? It's very real world. Tell me if I get my facts straight here, because I this has been a long time since I've actually thought about this in detail. So the way marriages worked back then is the man had a house established already, and he would bring that woman into his house, but they wouldn't be married yet. There'd be like a year of um, betrothal wait time, I guess. Yeah, betrothal. Yes. So the yes. betrothal period last year. Okay, Shirley says yes. So it's in that time that Mary says yes to this angel. And the angel's being very clear, you're going to be pregnant, which pregnancy comes about from a very specific act, which Joseph knows he's not responsible for. So he could very well have her stoned for being pregnant. I mean, that's in the law. Mm -hmm. And so when she says yes to Jesus, uh, yes to this angel, she's risking her life for this. Right. Am I, am I stretching the truth here in any way? Not even a little. No, that's absolutely correct, Patrick. 
yeah, yeah. she's, I mean, that's a big, bold yes that she's saying yeah. uh, to this angel. So I, whenever I do my Bible studies with my students, which I haven't done any this year because of COVID, but uh, I like to give real world context to what, what the saints are doing in the time and what the, what the people in the Bible are doing at the time, because that's not something that I knew growing mm-hmm. up. And I think, it, yeah. I think it adds, it adds more weight. It adds more, uh, they understand the situation better, I think. Absolutely. And here's an interesting thing that I, I never thought about before. Well, a little bit, but what you're saying is, so Joseph could, by law, have her stoned, right? Sure. And that, that goes to show how really harsh and cold everything was back then. That, that, brutal. Their, yeah, their culture was brutal. And this shows how it, it sets up a little bit how merciful and gentle of a of a husband and father Joseph was because uh, he could have her stoned, but it says in there that Joseph decided to, before he's visited by the angel, he's divorced her quietly. Yeah. He decides to divorce her quietly. So he's, you know, in his mind, he's like, well, she's pregnant. I obviously didn't do this, so I'm not going to marry her, but I'm going to do this in a way that, does not subject her to the brutality of the law. Yeah. We, and of we course, then he, he goes back podcast. on it. But. We, we could almost do a podcast on Joseph. One of the thing, important things about Mary uh, and understanding, not just understanding Mary, understanding Jesus, understanding Joseph, understanding Moses, all these people all over the Bible, is to, before you jump in, uh, a lot of us, we don't know how to read the Bible. It's very confusing because there's so much from thousands of years ago that just we don't get, right? And the, and the genres of the way these books are written. And right. it's really important before we jump into it to understand that one of the necessary ways uh, to read the Bible is through the lens of typology, mm, right? Typology. typology meaning that in the Old Testament, a lot of the big players are types, meaning early models of someone who is to come later, okay? So Adam is a type of Jesus, and St. Paul, in one of his letters, uh, specifically says that. Uh, He says, Adam, who is a type of the one to come. So uh, Jesus is a new Adam. Uh, Moses was a type of Jesus also. Uh, so, uh, Jesus is a new Moses. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament is a type of the Joseph in the New Testament. And uh, there are a few, one, one being Eve, is a type of Mary in the New Testament. There's, there's a whole other conversation you could have on how Mary is the new Eve, because uh, uh, Jesus is the new Adam, Mary is the new Eve. Um, and now, which, what this, this is where I pass it off to you, Nick, is yeah. where Mary is a new, and, uh, and there, go. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so uh, yeah, so we have Mary as this new Eve, and, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of people don't understand um, where we're coming from with the way that we venerate uh, Mary. Uh, and why we put her in such high regard. Um, and like you said, Ross, it helps so much if we uh, have context and if we understand uh, the fullness of the Bible. Um, and so when it comes to Mary, 
uh, one, she is the mother of God. Uh, but two, we can understand her role a lot better if we understand uh, this concept of uh, Davidic kingship uh, and um, the queen mother in, in that. Um, so if you look at First Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 19, uh, I'll just read this. Uh, so Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him about uh, Adonijah. The king got up to meet her and bowed before her. He then sat down on his throne. A seat was brought for the king's mother, and she sat down on his right. Okay, that's a big deal. Uh, so basically, back in uh, the Davidic kingship days, uh, the, the mother of the king uh, was called uh, uh, Jabira, uh, or Gabira, which uh, translates into great lady or queen mother. And so basically, uh, the king, he would have had multiple wives, okay? But none of them would have had authority. Uh, but at his right side would have been his mother. And the mother of the king uh, sort of, she always had his ear. Uh, so he would, he would look to her for guidance and he would look to her for, uh, you know, advice. Uh, and, and she would sort of uh, help him out. Um, and so if, if, if someone needed something from the king, they would ask the queen mother, like, hey, you have the king's ear. Uh, you know, maybe you can help me because you're so, you're so close to him, okay? So that's super important because uh, talking about, you know, how uh, the, the, the New Testament is fulfilling all these things in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, comes from, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of this Davidic kingship, right? Um, and so if that's the case, well, okay, well, who's Jesus's mother? Well, it's Mary, right? Um, and so that very much impacts the way in which we understand her role. Jesus is the heir of King David. He's the fulfillment of these covenant promises. Um, and so it's in this sense that Catholics call her like a queen, even this queen of heaven. Uh, and it's not in this you know, sort of pagan sense, uh, it's, it's this idea that she now is with uh, Jesus in heaven at, at his right hand, so to speak, um, because that's her, that's her role in this idea of, uh, of uh, Davidic kingship and the queen mother. So I think that's super important for people to understand. We didn't just pull this out of like a hat. It's not just some weird fascination we have. Um, this is, this is completely uh, biblical, our understanding of of her and her relationship to her son. That's the kind of context that we that listeners would need. I love it. Right. Yeah. And fast forwarding to fast forwarding it to real time. Let's just talk about our mothers now. You know, we have a national holiday, Mother's Day. What what oftentimes do um, people dads say to their children? You want that? Go ask your mother. So we, we reverence, I mean, we, we do, we, we, we don't worship our mothers, but we hold them in a place of honor because of who they are. Like I said, even with a national holiday. So how much more so should we be holding in honor the mother of Jesus? Uh, Cause we're holding our own earthly mothers in honor. I mean, and then go back biblically, the first miracle was performed because Mary said at the wedding feast of Cana, 
do whatever he tells you. She didn't say, all right, Jesus, is it okay? Mom said it, it happened. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we can look at Mary historically, the Davidic kingship, as you said, but in real time as well, we do honor yeah. our mothers. It's not, it's yeah. not a big deal. But Patrick, I think you probably have more to say about the Annunciation. You know, I don't know, I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say about the Annunciation. It's just the idea of it, I think, really resonates with me, and I, I hope other people as well, that Mary, there was just no hesitation in her, in her voice, in her demeanor. It's just, she was, a, she was approached by God a little more directly than we are today, and uh, the angel said, hey, this is what I need. And she just said, okay, let's do it. I don't know how it's going to end, but let's do it. This is what you need. I'm all in. And that's, that's, I think, inspiring in a much more simple way than, than Ross and, and Nick were throwing stuff at us. Um, not everything has to be complicated. Some, of, some, some of the most beautiful things are very simple. Yeah. And honestly, the, the, her, her, yes, it's very, it's very simple. And it's one of the beautiful mm. things. Probably. Yeah. I wish I could be that simple, honestly, you know? <laughs> I wish I could God just has, say, God, yeah, has a, let's do this. God has a will. God has a will for everybody. And the thing is, he's not hiding it. It's not like, it's not like you have to go on some grand quest to figure it out. You just have to ask it and he'll reveal things to you. Well, yeah. And I, and I think sometimes we need the help of others in our prayer and in our intercession to, to discern what that is in our lives. Um, how often do we ask other people to pray for us? You know, I, we probably, I know I do it on a daily basis. And I think sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters put us to shame doing it. They gather together. I don't know if you ever run into someone in the Catholics don't have to do this, but run into somebody in a grocery store and ask them to pray for you. And they'll stop right there and they'll pray for you. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. Think, and I think that's beautiful. So that's this whole idea of intercessory prayer. It really isn't foreign to ask Mary to intercede for us to her son. You know, Mary, go, go and ask, help pray for me before your son. You know, in other words, you want something from dad says, go ask your mother. Well, we're asking mother to ask dad. And, yeah. you know, same thing with the whole communion of saints. And I don't want to get off on that because we talked about it a little bit. And that will be up and coming in November. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, other saints, we, we ask them to pray for us. I still talk to my mom and dad and say, come on. Come on, dad. I need help doing this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I had, I had an analogy. I was sitting in class one day when I was a college student just a few years ago when I was getting my second degree. Uh, this friend of mine was sitting there, and we were talking about the fact that I was Catholic. He wasn't religious. And he, he asked me what the deal was with saints because there's always that confusion with people who aren't Catholic. They think we worship them. Right. Um, and, of course, we don't. You guys hit on that much better than I could. But I kind of – I was a little proud of myself. I came up with this analogy. I said, imagine, like, we're in this class – and there are some people who are going to get A's, and there are some people who are going to get B's and C's and D's, but the A students, they're doing something right. And if we're in this class too, shouldn't we be figuring out what it was that the A students are doing right? They're not smarter than us. They're not like better than us, right? They're just, they're just I don't know, they're studying harder. They're asking for help when they need it. They're, shouldn't we be like emulating them as much as we can? And there are students who have had this class before and have gotten A's before and are now off doing greater things. Shouldn't we be studying what they did too? And if they're in a position now as an A student, presumably the teacher kind of liked them. So they're in a position, if your grade is close at the end of the year, to go to the teacher and say, hey, 
Patrick, he worked really hard. Ross, he worked really hard. Why don't you bump his close grade up to an A? Right. <laughs> and I think that's a silly analogy, I know, but it's one is college related, and two, the Protestant guy I explained it to thought it was really neat. So, so that's makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Well, it puts things in perspective too, you know. Because sure. um, we that doesn't, have that doesn't mean I'm like I'm not like worshiping the guy who got an A in the class, right? He's no right. no no better or worse than I am. He's just he did something right. He did a lot right. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. should be figuring out what that is. A role model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Role model, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's the thing. I mean, really, I mean, Mary is for us one of the greatest role models because, you know, we, uh, she's often called uh, the first follower of Jesus. Um, you know, she exemplified better than anybody what it means to say yes uh, and to follow him and do God's will, right? And so, like, if that's our purpose, right, that's our, that's our whole thing of what we're doing here on earth, well, then what better example do we have than the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, because she did that. She gave her whole self and her entire being to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that we're called to do that in our own unique ways, too. Uh, I, I want to say one more thing. All right, go. Um, so one of my favorite uh, quotes about Mary is from Blessed Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Uh, and I think this will help put Mary in perspective, too. Uh, he said, God who made the sun also made the moon. The moon does not take away from the brilliance of the sun. All its light is reflected from the sun. The Blessed Mother reflects her divine son, and without him, she is nothing. But with him, she is the mother of men. You know, we we talk about intercessory prayer and praying to Mary. Uh, This isn't because she has any type of super ability. Uh, she, She reflects the goodness of God, right? like the moon does. And I, I've always loved that imagery. I mean, I, if I look at the moon now, I, I, I subconsciously I'm thinking about Mary in that regard because the moon doesn't have any of its own light, right? It just reflects that light from the sun. And, and so too uh, does Mary do that. She's always reflecting uh, that light from, uh, from, from God. And I love that. Yeah. You know what else I love about Mary? And this is much more on the human level but I guess as a mother and a grandma, and I think it doesn't have to be gender-related at all. You meant to do this too. You think, uh, you know, we tend to idealize Jesus in his life because, oh, we always see the, the halo around him and, you know, and everything is, is nice when, when we read it in, in um, scripture or hear the stories. And yet, if you think about it, he was like us, is like us in all things but sin. So what's those all things? He had runny noses, he skinned his knees, he probably had arguments with his friends, blah, blah, blah. And who was the one that went through all that with him? Mary. Mary taught him how to pray. Mary wiped his runny noses. Mary, you know, skinned up his, or bandaged up his skin knees. Mary had talked to him when he was probably having issues with, you know, his friends on the playground. I mean, I just think that's a really neat way to look at Mary. And sometimes I relate to her that way. Like, cause you know, she was yeah. rocking and rolling yeah. with Jesus. She really was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Had, she had to be a trooper with him. Think yeah. about that. I mean, he 12 years old. He, he left. I mean, what the heck? The yeah. Mary thing. And Joseph too. But I think that's a really human way of relating to her in terms of our everyday lives, especially when it comes to younger people. And, yeah. 
you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's easy. It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget the vast majority of Jesus's life is not recorded in the Bible or anywhere else. Right. Right. They're right. They're just doing their home thing, and yeah, Mary was a mom for all yeah. that time. So much of it yeah. is his his childhood, and yeah, just growing up, being being a kid, being a a young adult, and. Uh, I think it's interesting too to think about how Mary and Jesus are biologically connected in terms of like we know that because she conceived him and gave birth to him but that means they probably look alike they share the same blood right uh yeah. they're they're blood relatives so i mean the blood of Christ uh shares a commonality a level of commonality with the blood of Mary um, and I mean, they, they share a bond like no other two human beings, right. like no other human being can share with them. I mean, she, she nursed him, you know, <laughs> they, 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 they share that, that, that intense connection that, that no other human being on this earth ever shared with him. Uh, that's a good, and that's, that, that's a good point. Uh, I remember in a history class I took, uh, here at Marshall, uh, when I was a college student, um, the professor, she's uh, Catalan, uh, she, which is a province of Spain. And uh, she was saying that uh, in one of the small villages uh, there, um, uh, there's a statue. And you, you've, I've never actually seen this, really. But there's a statue, and it's the, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and she's actually nursing uh, the baby Jesus. Wow. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's beautiful. That's such a beautiful uh depiction because it, it like you said ross it really strikes to the heart of that very intimate relationship that they made all right gang well this was i think this was really really good yeah um, it was cooking. <laughs>